Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations and reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ. If you'd like to partner with us in doing that, you can share this message with others or click on the Give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message. Your love so great, Jesus in all things. I've seen a glimpse of your heart a billion years. Still I'll be singing.
Come on, that's good, right? Well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you I haven't had the privilege of getting to meet yet, my name is Andrew Irwin, and I get to be one of the pastors here at the Vine Church. And I'm excited that I get to be with you this morning as we jump back into our message series that we're calling Truth Over Trend. And I want to start this morning um, by just asking a simple question. Have you ever had a time, have you ever had one of those moments where you saw somebody who was in need and you decided not to do anything about it? Well, embarrassingly, I've had multiple occasions where that was true of me. But as I was preparing for this message, the story that kind of jumped to my mind happened last November. My family and I, we were on our annual pilgrimage to Chicago to go see the fam for Thanksgiving. And we were making our way up and we were actually in the city of Nashville. And they were doing some road work in Nashville. And so we had got detoured off of the highways and we had to go kind of through the main thoroughfare of Nashville. And we got to a point where I had absolutely no idea where we were, but we were stopped because of a guy standing in front of us doing this number while they were like paving in front of us. And I thought, this is not good. And all of a sudden, from the back seat, I hear my six-year-old son Joshua say, Hey, Dad, who's that guy standing on the side of the road with a sign? And in that moment, I did what every good parent does. I pretended not to hear him. I mean, that worked when he was six months old and like he was crying out in his sleep and I would pretend to stay asleep so that my wife would have to be the one to go check on him. So I thought it might translate to my six-year-old as well, but it, it didn't because what happened was he just said the same question louder to make sure everybody heard the question this time. And I looked back at him and I said, hey, buddy, he's, he's got a sign out that says he's hungry and that he's homeless and that he would like some money or some food. And then I quickly tacked on, but I don't have any money. I don't have any cash to give him. And all of a sudden, I started hearing some rustling from the back seat. And all of a sudden, I saw his little hand come forward between the seats, and in it was his bag of Doritos and an apple. And so when the, when the kind of the paver got out of our way, and we pulled up to a point where I could get to the gentleman holding the sign, I rolled down my window, and I said, hey, we don't have any money, but here's some Doritos and an apple. God bless you. And we drove off. And as we drove away, I kept thinking about the lesson that the Lord was teaching me. And what he was teaching me was that I needed to have a heart more like my earthly son and my heavenly father, who both clearly understand that when you see someone who needs help, you help. When you see somebody who needs help, you need to help. See, in this series, what we've been talking about are the things that matter most to God. And the things that matter to God are not affected by trends or fads. They're timeless truths. And this morning, what we're going to see is that one of the timeless truths about what matters most to God is that God cares for the least. And we're going to see that in our scripture today. It comes from Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at verses 31 through 46. Again, that's Matthew 25, looking at verses 31 through 46. So I invite you to open there with me. And as you're kind of finding Matthew 25, I want to give you just a little bit of context. Just before the passage that we're about to read, Jesus has been doing a little bit of light teaching, um, kind of some of the fluffy stuff about how every person who's ever been born is going to face a judgment day. And um, he just wanted to make sure that was light and everybody understood it, right? And so what we're going to see is not only does he say that there will be a coming judgment, he says how we're going to be judged. And so that's what we're going to jump into Today, let's pick it up reading with Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. I was naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal fire, into eternal life. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, our reaction to this passage is probably pretty similar to the reaction that the original disciples had. The original followers of Jesus had this concern that you hear in their voices because they do not want to be left out or left behind. Right? And I actually think that's a good thing. I think it's appropriate to have a healthy fear of the Lord when it comes to important issues like who's going to get into heaven or not, because I believe that it can be a catalyst for right information, right application, and even right transformation. So we've got to start asking the questions that matter most. And for most people, when they read a passage like this, the question that comes to their mind is, who is the least? I mean, who is the least that Jesus is talking about? Well, Jesus actually gives us a very specific view of who the least is. And if you're familiar with reading the Bible, you'll know that this is not new information because the people who have been the least have been on God's heart for a long time. And there's a description of them all throughout the pages of Scripture. In essence, the least are those with the least. The least are those with the least. They're those without. They're those without food, fabric for clothing, or fathers. They could be the hungry or the homeless. They could be the starving, or maybe they're strangers, but they're the ones with the least. And throughout the Bible, we see that there's a prescription for all followers of Jesus, all followers of Christ, to be about the work of caring for the least. And not only is there a prescription for us to care for the least, there's also promises that come along with that prescription, that if we care for the least, we will be blessed. In addition to that, there's even language of punishment, that if we don't care for the least, there will be a consequence. And we need to be aware of those consequences. And so what I want to do this morning is I actually want to walk us through four specific prescriptions for us to care for the least, all right? And so we're going to jump in to our first prescription. It comes from Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. And this is what it says. 
And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your, your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So farmers are told to care for the hungry and for the homeless by leaving the corners and, and leaving the leftovers. But I want you to notice that in this passage, there's no language about who is qualified to go eat from the corners or who is qualified to eat from the gleanings. And that's a good thing because what we see in the New Testament is Jesus and his disciples go on a journey together and they're actually getting hungry, cross through a field, and they eat some of the gleanings. And that's a good, important message for us to grasp because we need to be people who, when it comes to identifying the least, do not discriminate. Listen, we should absolutely use discretion, but we shouldn't discriminate who we are going to help and when we're going to help them. Now, this message of the least is not just found in Leviticus. If you, if you kind of fast forward a few books of the Bible, you get into the prophets. And one of those prophets was a guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah kind of made a living basically calling out God's people, telling them that they had better suck it up and get things straight, right? They need to get back in line with what God is calling them to do and who God is calling them to be. And this is what Isaiah says in chapter 58, verse 7. He says, Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Anyone who thinks the Bible's antiquated isn't paying attention. Now, some of you sitting there, I can tell, I can see it. You're looking and you're thinking, does that apply to in-laws? Yes, it does. <laughs> do not hide from your relatives. And, and here's the point he's trying to make. He's saying, you don't get to pick and choose who you're going to help. Because here's the thing. Sometimes the least are those that you know the best. And sometimes the least are those that you have the biggest opportunity to help, and they're the least people who you want to help. But we don't have that choice. Isaiah says, if we see somebody who's hungry or homeless or naked, we've got to do something about it. Now, if we fast forward again, a few more books of the Bible, we land right in the Gospels, which is the story of the good news of who Jesus is and how Jesus loves everyone. And what we see in Luke chapter 3, verse 11 is this. Jesus is teaching, and he says, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Again, no discrimination. Hey, if you've got two tunics, you see someone who has none, do the math. You keep one, you give one to them. You see somebody who's hungry and you've got food, you share with them. This is, not, this is not something that Jesus says is optional. He says this is what you're called to do. Now, if you fast forward again one more time, you end up in the book of Romans, which is just a few, few books over, and it's written by a guy named Paul. Now, if you're here and you're kind of new to church, or maybe you're skeptical about church, then Paul is your guy because he grew up hating the church. And in fact, he wanted to destroy the church up until the moment he met Jesus. And from the moment he met Jesus on, his life was radically changed. And instead of trying to destroy the church, he tried to build the church. In fact, he started a bunch of churches all over the known world. And to one of those churches, he, he said this. This is what he writes in Romans chapter 12, verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, doing, by, doing, or by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What Paul's getting at is we don't get to choose who we're going to help. And here's why this is a big deal. 
What he's saying is, if there's somebody in need and you are certain, 100% confident, that if the roles were reversed, they would just walk on by you, that they would see you in your need and they would spit on you, mock you, even beat you, make things worse for you. Even if that person who you know would do just terrible things to you if it was reversed, if they're in need, you're called to help. You know why? Because in so doing, you're modeling the way God loves all of us. Because all around the world, every single day, there are people who God sees in need. And those people whom God desperately wants to help, they look upon his help and they spit on him and they mock him and they choose to do life on their own instead of receiving the love that he has for them. See, as people of God, we're called to be different. We're called to show the love that God has for all the world. In fact, but we've just walked through four specific passages that we see prescriptions for caring for the least in, but the prescriptions only make sense if we understand the principle. And the principle is this. If you love God, you're called to love those who God loves. If you love God, you are called to love those that God loves. And this is huge. This is huge because what we see Jesus is teaching in Matthew 25, where we kind of started all this in Matthew 25, what Jesus is saying is the way you choose to love the least communicates how you love me. The evidence of your love for me, Jesus says, is shown by the example of the way you love the least around you. Now, some of you might be going, okay, all right, I'm a little convicted now. You just said Jesus said I'm the least, okay? So I need, to, I need to serve Jesus. I need to help Jesus when Jesus is in need. How do I do that? I've got three, three things that I want to present to you this morning that I think might be a helpful starting point. Here's the first. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can't do everything, but we can do something. I speak to people all the time who tell me, you know what? The world is a mess. I mean, it's broken and, and just awful place where just horrendous things happen to good people all the time. The world just doesn't even make sense to me. It's just all falling apart, and there's nothing I can do about it. Some of you might feel that way. Listen, the world might be falling apart, the world might be a mess. But your concern is not whether the world stays together or not. Your chief concern is not whether the world looks messy or not. Your chief concern is figuring out what God is specifically calling you to do and doing that anyway. Because you know what the other thing I hear all the time from people is? You know what? Even if I wanted to make a difference, I don't have the resources to do it. Even if I wanted to do something that would be huge and, and awesome and help people, I, I couldn't pull it off anyway, so why bother? Here's what I would say to you. We serve a God who was able to feed 5,000 people with a few dinner rolls and a couple of fish. Little is much in the hand of God. And when we decide that we are going to care enough to take action, it compels the heart of God to move with us. If you want to see God do something miraculous, get started. Just begin the journey of saying, you know what? I can't do it all. But that's not going to stop me from starting at all. I'm going to do something. I don't know what, but I'm going to do something 
to help someone. So when you have that mindset, it changes everything. And when you begin to have that stirring inside of you, you can ask yourself this question. What's the least that I can do for the least? What's the least that I can do for the least? And some of you are going, sweet, I like this question because you've got some really good minimums already laid out, right? You're like, okay, I got that. I can, I can give very little. You know, I can do that pretty well. I'm not talking minimums with this question. This question should begin to get you thinking of when I'm in the moment, what can I do right then and right there? When I have an opportunity presented to myself, when something comes my way that maybe I didn't see coming, what can I do right then and right there? And sometimes this is simply about being opportunistic. Here in our church, we are extraordinarily, ble extraordinarily blessed to have an amazing director of outreach. Her name is Becky Hand. If you haven't had the opportunity to meet her yet, I would strongly encourage you to do that because she will bless you. You will have a better day after you've hung out with Becky. And one of the things that Becky has done with intentionality is to begin partnering with agencies around our community, these strategic partners that allow us to give opportunities to you all to do the least for the least. For instance, one of our strategic partners is iServe Ministries, and they exist to serve those who are hungry, and many of whom are homeless. And so our church partners with them consistently to provide opportunities for you to be a part of the good work that is happening through iServe Ministries. That's a great example of how you can do the least for the least. Or maybe you've heard of our strategic partnership with the United Methodist Children's Home, which is an organization that exists to support foster families, modern-day orphans, and those in the foster care system. And we often will do things to support the United Methodist Children's Home, and we'll often do things to support foster families. This is a great opportunistic way for you to do something extraordinary for the least. These are just a few options for you. And my hope is that as you're hearing them, you're going, oh, okay, I'm beginning to get it. And maybe something's beginning to stir inside of you. Because maybe that will lead you to this final question, which is, how can I do the most for the least? How can I do the most for the least? You see, we have all these strategic partnerships, but we've got all these agencies and you could wait for them to come to you and say, hey, we've got a need. Or you could wait for the church to say, hey, here's a way for you to plug in. Or you could decide that today is the day that you're going to stop waiting and start doing. That today is the day you are going to do something to help someone. And maybe that means for you, you say, you know what? I'm not going to wait for the next time the church says, hey, we can go serve at iServe. I'm just going to go to iServe. And I'm just going to build relationships with people who are hurting. And I'm just going to invest in them because that's what Jesus does throughout the Gospels. Or maybe you decide, you know what, instead of just fostering or supporting foster families, instead of just supporting a foster agency, maybe I'm going to become a foster family. Maybe you're saying, you know what, instead of just serving locally, maybe I'm going to add to that. And we're going to consider serving globally. Within the next month, you're going to receive some information about all of the upcoming global mission trips that will be happening for the next year. And you'll have the opportunity to begin praying through how God is calling you to go and make a difference in the lives of the people who are all over the world in need of Jesus. You'll have the opportunity to partner with agencies like Amigos for Christ, who is doing incredible work in Nicaragua. But what they do is they bring clean water to communities that don't have access to it. And they have these sewage systems that they set up for, for these places where they don't have just hygienic sewage systems. And it's 
awesome. And in addition to that, they're bringing education to kids who don't have access to education. And you can go and be a part of that. Or maybe God's going to stir something in you to partner with our missionaries in Mozambique, which is perennially one of the poorest nations in the world. And you're going to go and you're going to minister to the street kids that Masana, our partner agency, is ministering to so that maybe, just maybe, you can be a part of seeing a reunification between a street boy and his family. We've got to recognize that God wants to stir something in us to do something phenomenal. And here's what I love. I just, I love this. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 10 is just so clear that caring for the least lifts us up out of darkness. Caring for the least lifts us up out of darkness. In fact, Proverbs builds on this and says, hey, those of you who are having a rough season, those of you who things aren't going well, things aren't the way you want them to be, you feel like the brokenness of the world has become the brokenness of your home or the brokenness of your life or the brokenness of your soul. Listen, Proverbs says, start caring for the least and you will not only be blessed, but you will receive earthly rewards and eternal rewards. And Jesus actually reaffirms this language of rewards. And he says there will be eternal rewards for those who care for the least. And some of you might be going, what do those rewards look like? Not a clue. Scripture doesn't say. I don't know what the eternal rewards look like for serving the least. And to be honest with you, I hope that's not your motivation for serving the least. I hope that you don't go and serve the least so that you can get something out of it. I hope that you go and serve the least because you've got something to give. Because you want to be more like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve. And although I don't know what the eternal rewards look like, this week I had the opportunity to send some emails to some different people in our church. People who are saying, you know what, we're going to do something. And so I talked to people who were involved in iServe and the Children's Home and some of our global partners. And the responses that I received were incredible. They... They were awesome. In fact, I had two pages worth of notes that I was going to read from this, and then I realized you guys might want to go to lunch at some point. So I pared it down to just a few responses, and what I did is I essentially asked two questions to these people who are deciding we're going to do something. And I said, what's your inspiration, and what rewards have you received? And this is what they said. Uh, the first person I heard back from was Kenny Stroud. He's actually involved in the iServe board, and he's uh, kind of guiding the organization right now. And this is what he said. He said, my inspiration was that God's perfect love for us compels us to love others sacrificially. And when I heard about iServe's mission to feed and help, uh, help brothers and sisters in need, I couldn't think of a better way to put that love into action. When I asked him about rewards, he said, literally too many to count. The joy that I feel seeing families receive desperately needed food and love from iServe and its volunteers is absolutely tremendous. When I asked a family in our church who is currently fostering, serving as foster parents, I said, what was your inspiration for becoming a foster family? This is what they said. They said, we've always had a huge heart for kids, but the idea to foster or adopt never entered our brains until we connected to the Vine Church. Side note, when you come here, the Holy Spirit's going to get a hold of you. It's a little bit dangerous to come to worship here. I'm just, set, just saying. Specifically, it was something we talked about a while ago about living rich and seeing your life as it is, abundantly blessed. We realized that we were focused so much on what we don't have that we were overlooking areas that we were blessed in excess. When I asked them about rewards, this is what they said. 
They said, I think the biggest reward through fostering is our total reliance on God and our realization that his way is the best way. It's the comfort of knowing without a doubt that, there, that this is where we are supposed to be and where our kids are supposed to be. And no matter how the situation looks to us, this is the most perfect way things can work out because it's not our plan. It's his. And finally, I, I heard back from Sarah Monlan, Mon Lane, and she's actually our missionary partner in Mozambique. And this is what she had to say. She said, shortly after moving to Mozambique to work at an orphanage, I met two brothers that were living on the street. They became a big part of my story, and it was through my relationship with them that God gave me a passion to see street boys reunited with their families. And then she said this. She said, for me, the reward is in seeing a boy choose to leave the streets and be reconciled to his family. And we've seen over 130 of them make that decision in the past nine years. Making the choice to go home is the first step towards the better future God has for these boys. Listen, I don't know what the eternal rewards look like, but I know the earthly rewards sound pretty good to me. This morning during our 915 service, um, I had somebody come up to me and say, hey, I... I don't know if I should share this with you or not, but I feel like the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me all morning. And what the Holy Spirit has been saying is that today, God's delivering on impossible situations. And I said, what do you think that means? He said, I think God's been calling people to do something, but their situation has prevented them from taking that step. But today is the day that God's removing those obstacles. He's removing those barriers. He's eliminating the things that we previously thought were impossible so that we can finally decide that we are not gonna sit back and do nothing. Today is the day we're gonna start doing something. So listen to me. If you're in a situation this morning where you rolled up here and you had no expectation of God doing anything in your life because the thing that you need done is just too big, then God wants to do something right here, right now. I don't know what that thing is for you. Maybe it's physical. Maybe you've got an illness or an ailment that you just feel like, you know what, it's too big, it's too much. But maybe if that thing was gone, then I could do something. Listen, God wants to move. Maybe your thing is a financial thing. Hey, maybe if my finances were different, then I could do something for someone else. But I gotta get my house in order before I can do something. Listen, God wants to move. Maybe your thing is a relational thing. Hey, I can't do anything until I get these relationships squared away and they just feel like they are crumbling. How could I possibly help someone else when I can't even help those closest to me? Listen, God wants to move if you'll let him. This morning, my hope and my prayer is that you will give to God whatever it is is holding you back from doing something to help someone. Whatever it is that's preventing you from asking the question, what's the least that I can do from the least? What's the most that I can do for the least? Whatever it is that's blocking those things from seeming like possibilities to you, give it to God today and trust that he who began a good work in you wants to bring it to fruition. And he doesn't want to let anything, anything stop you from living the life that he has created and called you to live. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You are God's workmanship. And he has created good things in advance for you. And if you'll let him, he'll move you into a position where today can be the day that you decide 
that moving forward, you are doing something. And I don't know about you, but when I think about this, I get fired up. Because I know that we can't do everything for everyone. But here's what I know. If our church left here today, and each and every one of us decided that we were doing something for someone, I guarantee our community would look different. If each and every one of us decides, you know what, today's the day, we're drawing a line in the sand, and today is the day that we are going to care for the people that God cares about the way God cares about them, then our community would look different. All week, my prayer has been, Lord, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Well, here's what we know. The Lord's will is for God's people to love the least. And we know that his kingdom, we know that his kingdom is filled with people who recognize very clearly that when it comes to the spiritual playing field, we're all the least. And because of the one who is the greatest, we've been elevated together to a place where we can together make the most difference for the least. I think Jesus understood this when he was teaching on, in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, because he uses language, and he actually uses it throughout the Gospels, that maybe doesn't make complete sense to us in our context. He uses this language of just weight and a false balance. And what he was getting at is that culturally and contextually at this point in time, every piece of, like every crop that was purchased had to be weighed in order to determine how much it was going to cost. But unfortunately, it was a very common practice in many places for people to operate with false weights, weights that would make it so that they, people had to pay more money to take the crops home. And this is the kind of scale we're talking about. They would place their, their crops on the scale, and that would be what determined you know, how much they had to pay. Well, if those, if those scales are false, then it hurts the heart of God. And here's how I know that. Proverbs 11.1 1 says this. A false balance is an abomination. An abomination simply means something that God hates. A just balance is his delight. So a false balance, God hates. A just balance is God's delight. The reason that Jesus uses this language is because the same weight that we measure towards the least will be measured back to us. So if we measure the least to the least, that's how we'll be measured. And if we measure the most to the least, then that's how we'll be measured. And we get to make the choice. So today, here's your invitation. May you make today the day that you decide to do something for someone, knowing that you don't have to do it all. And may today be a day when you ask the hard questions of what can you do for the least, whether it's the least or the most that you can do. And may you trust that if it's what God's calling you to do, he will move the mountains to make it happen because that's who our God is. And that's the way he loves us. And that's the same way that he loves everyone in this community. And through you, he wants to make that love known. room.
My Savior, my 